1 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. How does that all fit together? Well, we're going to see this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you enable us to just clear our minds, to remain focused on your word and to open our hearts to the truth that you have revealed from your holy character, that we might be all that you have called us to be, that you might be glorified through us individually and collectively as a church. Lord, glorify yourself through us. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, as you know by now, this letter was written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy. He is providing him instruction for how to straighten out the mess that Hymenaeus and Alexander created in the church at Ephesus. And it's important because Ephesus was a, was a metropolitan city in that day, a crossroads from all of Europe to all of Asia, an important city. And having served as a pastor in Ephesus for three years, the Apostle Paul knows these people. He knows them well and he loves them. And so when he when he's released from, from the uh, house arrest there in Rome for having been falsely accused, they realize he was innocent, so they release him. He and Timothy go to Ephesus, and he leaves his right-hand man, Timothy, there to kind of straighten out the things while he travels on to visit the church in, uh, at Philippi. That's in uh, northern Greece, in Macedonia. And as a benefit to Timothy and all the churches, he writes this very clear instruction. He says, in every place you pray, men, you pray lifting up holy hands. Live in a way that the Lord will hear your prayers. You can't approach a holy God with sinful attitudes, sinful activities, sinful arguments. And then he says, likewise, women, adorn yourselves. The word adorn there, cosmeo, is the word from which we get cosmetics. Adorn yourself in respectable apparel. And the word for respectable there is cosmios, from that same root word. Adorn and respectable both come from the root word from which we also get the word cosmos, order. He's saying your cosmetics... <laughs> should be respectable apparel. Use them as you ought to glorify the Lord, not to just impress the world. Because just as men are to approach ministry properly, ladies, you too. Dress in an orderly way that honors the Lord. And he says in verse 9, with modesty and self-control. The word for self-control there means good sense. Verse 10, your focus should be on your godliness, not your braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire. 
And since we are to all do all things properly, he adds verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, Paul's not basing this on the culture, as some would say. He's not even saying this is his opinion. What's he base it on? He bases it on Scripture. Now, though I spent a good deal of time on this last week, um, I, I wasn't as clear as I needed to be. And for that, I sincerely apologize. Because my sole purpose on Sunday mornings is simply to rightly handle every verse of Scripture. And I want to do it in its proper context so that we not only hear what the Lord says, but we obey his word. So let me clarify what the Holy Spirit said through Paul to the church once again. Man was created first for a reason. Woman was created later for a reason. The the purpose for those distinctive duties that were given to man to, to, to the man and then given to the woman there was a reason for that and as soon as woman who was created second is the first to sin because man who was created first had sinned against her they have distorted what the lord designed His word was given, his design was given, and then it's all distorted by the fall. And we went back to Genesis 3 to look at that last week. And as a result, part of the curse is Eve, instead of doing what you were designed to do, you will now, from this day forth, you will desire your husband. It doesn't mean that she's going to have this awesome affection for him. I I wish that was the case. I mean, you know, wouldn't we all want our wives to be cursed if that were true? But that's not true. We, we turned over to Genesis 4 and saw where that word, the only other place that's used, that Hebrew word, desire, was used with Cain. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain, and its desire is to control you. And that's what he's talking about here. This is part of the curse of the fall. And it's going to lead to all kinds of problems because you know what's going to happen now? As you're going to see, not the way the Lord designed man and woman to become one flesh and to function together in harmony. No, no, no. Now you're going to see, by nature, the woman is going to want to rival her husband. And you know what men and their fallen nature are going to do? They're not going to respond well to that. And now they're going to seek to dominate that woman who is not functioning as she was meant to function. And rather than than the husband lovingly leading and protecting and caring for his wife, as the Lord intended, the woman is going to become resentful of how her husband is treating her. He's not responding well to how she rivals him. And so... She's not going to respond well to how he now seeks to dominate her. And you know what that's going to lead to? It's going to lead to chaos in marriage. 
It's going to lead to chaos in the family. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have divorce. You're going to have children suffer from this. You're going to have society become hostile. And yet, even though there, there is that, that natural curse as a result of what happened there, the Lord gives them the good news, the gospel. What he created for their good, they completely messed up. They distorted it by their sin. And yet he gives them the gospel. I'm going to send one who's going to redeem you. And he's going to do that. He's going to redeem man, both male and female, at the cross. And so Paul reminds the church, the Lord created, he designed, he commissioned men to be the spiritual leader. And he created him a helpmate to enable him to do that. And the two are to become one in marriage. And they're to work together in harmony. Now what was lost in the garden is restored at the cross. That's why he gives this instruction to the church. This is only going to work really for the, those that are redeemed in Christ and those who might see how those who are redeemed in Christ function, they might borrow that from us, but they can't get this on their own. They by nature will rival one another in marriage. They will by nature divorce one another from marriage. And so the woman, though the woman participated in the fall and was the first to sin, to become a transgressor. You know what? He says, but she can redeem herself. She can redeem herself through childbearing. That's what that word saved means there. It means to deliver. The woman came from man, from his side. And man will now be born of woman. And rather than leading them into sin the way Eve did Adam, those that are redeemed in Christ will now redeem themselves from that stigma associated with her role in the fall by taking these little fellers that come forth from the seed of Adam and nurturing them in God's word. For them to continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. If they do that, if she brings up that next generation to do that, she has delivered herself from that stigma. And so instead of rivaling her husband, she embraces her God-given responsibility by nurturing those children. Now, folks, the Lord has not changed. He's immutable. He can't change. He's holy. And so when he gives his word, that word does not change. His purposes as revealed in his word do not change. His design does not change. And so it's not because of the culture or some man's opinion or some movement. Paul says, I, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Because that's not how the Lord designed us to function. She is to remain quiet. Why? Why? Well, the Lord designed his creation to function in cosmos rather than chaos. I mentioned last week, this is the reason there were five churches that were removed from the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Why? Those churches chose to turn their back on God's word and say, here's what we think 
ought to be right. And they began ordaining women to do what the Lord had created man and commissioned man to do. They began appointing women elders, women pastors within the church. Now, ladies, if you want to prove that you are born again in Christ, those who, verse 10, you see verse 10, who profess godliness with good works, do what the Lord created you to be and to do. Don't get, get on a cultural bandwagon. I mean, why do you think Paul's writing this? That's what happened in Ephesus. What goes on in Ephesus? What's located there? It's the temple of Artemis, right? Or you probably know it better by the Latin name Diana. One of the seven wonders of the world. What took place at the temple of Diana? You have women at the temple of Diana who are leading men in the worship of idolatry. So he says, look, remember the church is not governed by our culture. The church is governed by our word. Honor his word. Honor his design. Be what you've been created to be. Do what you've been commissioned to do. I mean, look what happened when Adam didn't do what he was supposed to do, when he didn't protect Eve. Look what happened. Look what happened when Eve took the initiative and was deceived. Look what happened when she leads her husband then to also rebel against the Lord and to go into sin. Now, this doesn't mean that women can't engage in ministry. It doesn't mean that they can't come alongside their husbands. We pointed that out last week. Just like Priscilla came alongside her husband Aquila in Acts 18. And they taught Apollos the word more, more accurately. And then sent him back out to preach. She did exactly what she was created to be. Or, or take Phoebe. You know, people like to, to point to Phoebe, whom Paul greatly commends in Romans 16. She's very active in ministry. But there are defined duties for men and for women. You've heard of Titus, haven't you? You know who Titus is, the, the, the Gentile Christian, the one who was led to faith by Paul, and then he serves alongside uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, there in Corinth. And as a matter of fact, I think he stayed there in Corinth and worked in that church all through the 50s, uh, around 53, 54, 55, 56, somewhere along the way. It's while Paul is ministering in Ephesus, Titus is in Corinth. And then they travel together once again. And just like Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to straighten things out, they will end up going to the island of Crete. And Paul will say, Titus, you stay here and straighten these churches out. You stay here and you appoint elders and deacons and the church for the church to function as the Lord designed it to function. And Paul writes to Titus in 62 AD at the same time that he writes to Timothy. And here's what he had to say concerning the noble calling of women in ministry. Older women, and we're not talking about chronologically old here. We're talking about spiritually mature women who are reverent in their behavior. Not slanderers. These are ladies who understand, man, you've got to watch your tongue. Words can either build up or they can tear down. And so these mature women, they will not hurt people by the things that they say. They won't do it. 
And they're going to teach the younger women to not do that. But they devote themselves to teaching what is good. They're training up the young women on how to love their husbands and children, how to be self-controlled, how to be pure, how to work at home in kindness, how to be submissive to their own husbands. And why? Why do they do that? That the word of God may not be reviled. So men... What he's saying here is stop relinquishing to women what the Lord has called you to be. And women, stop trying to do what the Lord created men to do. We are to all fulfill our purpose. And it's a noble ministry to lead, guide, and teach children. It's a noble ministry to disciple younger women. So you don't need to violate God's word. You don't need to violate his design for your life by usurping authority in the home or in the church. Honor the Lord by being what he's called you to be and doing what he's called you to do. And so he says, look, learn quietly. Now this does not mean verbal silence. You know what that word means? It means to be attentive with a gentle and peaceful attitude. Good example of this would be the sisters of Lazarus. You remember them, Mary and Martha? Remember when Christ comes to their home and he said, Here you have the God of creation incarnate in your home. And what is Martha doing? Oh, she's busy, 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 busy. She's cleaning house, she's cooking, she's doing all kinds. Mary is sitting at the feet of Christ. And she's listening quietly. That's what this means, to be attentive. Instead of running around trying to be the man of the house, be still and know that I am God. Take time to listen to God's word, to be what he's called you to be. And he says, with all submissiveness, that has to do with the desire to cooperate. It means you're you're doing this out of respect for the Lord's creation. Now, this has obvious limitations. You are not to be submissive to a husband who is abusive. You are not to be submissive to a leader in a church if they are teaching heresy or if they are demanding that you do what you know is displeasing to the Lord. I mean... Paul made that very clear in his letter to the Ephesian church. If you read chapter 5, verse 22, he says, Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Just as the Lord tells us to submit to governing authorities. All of us. Submit to governing authorities. Why? I established them to provide order. I established them to, to punish evil. I established them to promote justice. And yet there are times when we can't do that. We can't do that. Just like the apostles couldn't do that. When when the authorities were ordering them to go against the Lord, they said, we just can't do that. The authority says, you can no longer preach the gospel in Christ's name. And they said, how are we supposed to obey that? We must obey the Lord rather than men. And that's why Peter and John, listen, they didn't protest being flogged. They rejoiced in their suffering. Why? How can you rejoice in your suffering? Because we know we're being punished for doing what is right. 
So with all submissiveness is in the context of honoring and obeying the Lord, whether you're in the home or you're in the church. Verse 12, he doesn't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man is in the context of a biblical home and a biblical church. Why? Out of obedience to God's word. I hope that clarifies what maybe I, I didn't make as clear as I had hoped last Sunday. And if not, please let me know. Please let me know. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't come out here on Sunday to teach from God's word just for the fun of it. I mean, there is a reason for why I do this. And it's for God's glory that you, as the body, along with me, as the church, can be the spiritual leaders that we are called to be. And so if I'm not clear about something, please tell me. Uh, now, if someone comes up and, and says this morning, yeah, it's not that you're not clear. It's just that I don't agree with you. <laughs> I, 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 you know, in our church, we, we've got women elders and pastors. So I just don't agree. I'm an egalitarian here. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer back to some, some verses here that absolutely have nothing to do with this. But I'm going to use that as my basis for, for why we're doing what we're doing. Because that's, that's how we see it in our culture. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond if someone says that to you? Let them know this is not a matter of whether we agree. Because this is not my opinion versus your opinion. Let them know that the Lord says 66 times in his word that an elder, and by the way, that's the word presbyteros, from which we get Presbyterian. It means a mature male that's uh, reinforced again in verse 2 down in chapter 3, who is not a womanizer, but the husband of one wife. An elder is to serve as overseer. Now, 66 times. The feminine version of that, presbytera, is never used in scripture for an elder or pastor. Never. Never. This is how the Lord designed for his people, the ecclesia. The world's not going to agree with this. And so a church that takes its clues from the world, they're not going to agree with this. But those who are called out from the world, the ecclesia, those that are called of the Lord to serve him according to his word, this is how they function. And we learned as we were going through our study in Colossians, remember that chapter 1 verse 18? It says that Christ is the head of the church. That is repeated in the, in the um, letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse, I think it's 22. Christ is the head of the church. Now the question is, how does Christ rule as the head of the church? All scripture is what? All scripture is theonoustos, God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is what overseers in the Lord's church use to keep the church from being blown here and there by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. And this text was not divided into chapters by the Apostle Paul, by the way. 
It was divided into chapters by Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 13th century. Why? Well, to make it easier for you to locate the truths of God's word. If I say, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, it's going to be a lot easier to find that in the Bible if I'm able to tell you chapter and verse as to where to locate that, as opposed to you just kind of thumbing through the whole scripture to try to find where that is. So that's the reason it was divided into chapters and verses. And that's the reason that Whitcliffe, in 1382, published the New Testament for the first time in chapters. And then after that, the Old Testament was published in chapters and verses in 1448. And then that went so well, it made it so easy to study the Old Testament that the New Testament then added verses into the chapters in 1555. My point is, when Timothy and the church at Ephesus received this instruction, there is no break between chapter 2 and chapter 3. This all goes together. He follows what he just said with this saying is trustworthy. It's a self-evident truth that doesn't need proving. Everybody knows it's true. If anyone, now what's that word anyone? In the Greek, it's tis. Do you see that? That's the reason I put the Greek up here. Why does that matter? It literally means any man. So how do you know that? It's in the masculine. If any man aspires, orego. Now that, that doesn't mean that it, it's just, uh, I really would like to do this. This isn't talking about internal motive at all. As a matter of fact, it's talking about the external steps that you're going to take to accomplish this. I aspire means I am going to work at this like no other. You're going to work at what? Do you see that next group of words to the office of overseer? That's all one word. It's episcopace. It's just one word. It's in the masculine. If any man aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. Three times in one verse, the masculine is not only used, but did you realize that all the adjectives that are going to follow next week in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, they're all masculine. So when you read these verses together, the woman is obviously commanded and created and commissioned by the Lord to influence the next generation to continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Just like Eunice and Lois did Timothy. And spiritually mature men, according to the Lord's design, like Timothy, are now commanded to provide her and those children leadership in the home and in the church. And this word desires, epithemeo, means a passionate compulsion. Nobody's got to shame you into this, guys. I mean, this is coming from within you. If you are born again in Christ, the Holy Spirit is driving this within you. And you are determined to fulfill it. Now, this word episcopace is often translated bishop. Let me explain why we're reluctant to use that word today, or, or many are. The early church uh, was led by God's design 
with a plurality of spiritually mature men called elders. Some of them were pastors. And just as Paul leaves Timothy there in Ephesus, he leaves Titus there on the island of Crete to what? To appoint deacons, elders and deacons. And the deacons are to oversee service ministries. We see that example in Acts 6 when seven godly men were appointed to care for the Greek widows. As the number of churches began to grow in the fourth century, the term episcopace, bishop, by virtue of its definition, the responsibility to oversee, became the title for the guy who was to oversee a group of pastors now, rather than serving within a local church. And since a bishop was responsible for doctrinal purity within the church, over time, the bishop in the larger areas assumed greater influence. And this is how the bishop of Rome, eventually, by the 6th century, some would claim, you, you can see it starting to evolve, and some would claim that it goes back even into the 5th century uh, with, with Leo, but you really see it kind of, of uh, taking shape under Gregory the Great, 590 AD, and then moving forward into the Dark Ages. But what happened is the bishop there in Rome, the other bishops in these other areas would look to him and ask for his advice on what they were to do. And so he kind of became the go-to guy, the, the papa. The papa, which is the word for pope. And as you move into the Dark Ages with the feudal system castles and knights, the hierarchy of power emerges with bishops and now archbishops or cardinals and popes. And that runs along from about the um, 6th century until the 11th century. And then there's the great schism which occurs. And that's because the bishop in the east in Constantinople, which is, is taking on great significance there, they want to look to Constantinople for their center of power. And so they separate from the churches in the West that continue to look to Rome as their capital. So now what do you have? You have a church divided. And in the East that are looking to Constantinople, you've got the Greek Orthodox Church. And in the West, you have the Roman Catholic Church. And they become separate entities. And the role of bishop in both of those religions evolves into claims of apostolic succession. That's not true, but nevertheless, that's the claim. That they serve from an uninterrupted line of continuity from the very first apostles to themselves. Therefore, ergo, when you get to the Reformation in the 16th century and they start returning to the scripture as their, as their um, source of truth rather than the traditions that have been handed down through the centuries uh, by church uh, councils, what you're going to find is they have a real problem, a real problem with ecclesiastical power being assumed by the office of bishops. That's why there is a reluctance to use that term. And so most of the time when you see bishops today, how do they look? Most of the time they're draped in robes, you know, with their clerical garb and their ermine fur caps and, 
and there, there are capes, and there, there are two-foot-high uh, hats called miters, or actually in the Greek it's literally a mitra, but they're cone-shaped hats. You know, it's kind of interesting if you go back and, and, and look at where they got that from. It, it actually comes from a, a Babylonian headdress for women. But most Protestant churches today who have returned to the scripture as their authority, they struggle with this word bishop because of what it has come to represent. So let me sort this out for you because I want to be clear this morning, okay? Episcopace is what? A mature male who oversees the well-being of the church. In writing to Titus, Paul also uses the Greek word presbyteros. Who's that? Well, that's someone who through life's many experience in their sanctification process, in their growth, they have become spiritually mature. And that word is often translated, presbyteros is often translated elder. In writing to the Ephesian church, Paul also uses the word shepherd. That's poimino. When you translate that Greek word into Latin, you get the word pastor. So a shepherd and pastor are one and the same. And shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer, they're all used interchangeably. And the only difference is, is that each kind of provides a little different emphasis. And so I put 1 Peter 5 up here on the, on the screen for you. Let me just walk you through that because he uses all of these terms in one sentence. And it kind of, I, I think, clarifies, at least it did for me. I exhort the elders. There's presbyteros. I, I gave you the Greek. If you want to transliterate uh, that into English, it's P-R-E. S-B-U-T-E-R-O-S, presbyteros, elders. What are they to do? They are to shepherd. There's the word poimino, P-O-I-M-I-N-O, also translated pastor. Who? The flock of God among you. How? Exercising oversight. There's the word episcopeo, from episcopes. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily as God would have you. As God would have you. So an elder is, is someone who's spiritually mature. A pastor or shepherd is someone who feeds God's people. And an overseer is one who cares for the well-being of the church. And so the Lord sets forth in his word, this is how the body of Christ is to function. The church is not ruled by popular opinion. It's not supposed to take its clues from culture. It doesn't care about man's tradition that's been handed down through the ages. It's not determined by some denominational board. Christ as head, as head of his church, rules by the authority of his word through those who are submissive and obedient to his will. And these are people who are very compassionate about his people. We had a retired Presbyterian female pastor worshiping with us. And I knew by virtue of, of um, her religious background that she did not share our biblical convictions regarding the inerrancy of God's word. And I also knew that she did not share our convictions about the divine design for how the church is to function. So when she would go out on Sunday mornings, I always made it a point 
to let her know how delighted I was with her coming. But after several weeks, I did ask her, why? I'm just curious, why? And I didn't say why I was asking her. I was asking her because I knew she didn't share our conviction, so I'm wondering, why are you here? Why are you here? And she said, well, I'm intrigued by the expository teaching of Scripture. I'm intrigued by the expository teaching of Scripture. I said, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. However, I'm sad to say that after a few months, after several months actually, not sharing a conviction for inerrancy, not sharing a, a conviction for bowing a knee and obedience to the design of, of, that the Lord has set forth in his word, she, she stopped coming. And that happens pretty frequently in our postmodern world where truth has become relative, where we've turned the Bible into our rabbit's foot, so we carry it, oh, we'll talk about it, we'll adore it, but in our postmodern Christianity, we don't read it. We don't read it with the intent to obey it, with the intent to bow in submission to it. We just like the feeling we get from having it, from having it. So as we close this morning, what are some lessons we need to, to make sure we take home from this? Number one is, guys, male leadership was designed by the Lord at creation with specific responsibilities given to you for which you will be held accountable. You don't step up and be what the Lord has called you to be in your home. You will have to, if you're a Christian, you will have to answer before Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. Number two, ladies. Woman was not created from the dust of the earth, like man, but from man's side. And there was a reason for that. And that's the reason that no man can ever become a woman. No woman can ever become a man. See, our brains, our, our DNA, uh, the, the man's XY chromosomes, the way he is made up, can never permit him to be a woman. Never. And the same is true of women. They were not designed to be men. Now you can make that claim and you can mutilate your body if you like, but, but you can't do it. We can't change what the Lord has designed us to be. Now, the only thing we can do is we can, we can acquiesce by bowing a knee in obedience or we can rebel. Those are our two choices, but we can't change it. Number three, a woman's physical beauty is often exploited and cheapened and used for selfish purposes. Those redeemed in Christ are reminded that your attractiveness doesn't come from your outward adornment, such as elaborate hairdos or jewelry or clothing and so forth. It comes from the unfaded beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which the Bible says is of great worth in God's sight. And it results in a woman's exaltation rather than her exploitation. Number four, a woman's role is different from a man's role in the home and in the church, but it is not inferior. 
Just as the Lord designed men to reflect his glory through biblical manhood. Listen, he designed women to reflect his glory through biblical womanhood. So when a godly husband loves his wife as sacrificially as Christ loves the church, I tell you, it brings glory to the Lord. People look at that and they're just amazed. And when they see a godly wife who is gladly now submitting to the Lord's design for marriage because this man is, is manning up and becoming the spiritual leader that he was called to be. And it's a wonderful thing to her. A wonderful thing. And the union of those two bring glory to the Lord, to the beauty of his creation. It's just glorious for everybody to see and for all to enjoy. For that to happen, you need to understand it's not how much you have. It's not how smart you are. It has to do with who you are. And that's why as we move forward into chapter 3, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to deal with character. Men and women, he's going to deal with character. Both are redeemed in Christ. They are equal heirs of the grace of God. So, Men, if you do not treat your wife right in the Lord's eyes, just giving you a warning, you don't do it, it hinders your prayers. It hinders your prayers. When you pray, lift up holy hands. Meaning you can't pray to a holy God from a filthy life that mistreats his wife. You can't do it. So, don't go home, men, and tighten up your belt and say, woman, listen to me. By the way, you do that. You may not be around long enough to hear the rest of this series. <laughs> but I would encourage you, men, to go home and tighten up your belt and say, listen, I love you unconditionally. I will love you as sacrificially as Christ loves me and you in his church. And I aspire, orego, meaning I'm going to work at this like no other, to be the spiritual leader you deserve and that our family desperately needs. And through it, the Lord is going to glorify himself through me. Go home and tell her that, men. And ladies, if your husband says that to you, and I hope that he will this afternoon, if he says that to you, don't say, well, it's about time. You know, given your past record, I don't know that I believe it until I see it. You know, don't, don't no. Remain quiet, would you? <laughs> Remain quiet. Weep if you like. Give thanks however you want. Hug and kiss him if you like. You just be sure to pray for him because he's taking on a noble task. And you be sure you encourage him. That's what fulfills your purpose. You encourage him. You make sure that he is able to do all that he has just promised you that he wants to do. And you know what happens? When you do that, well, we're going to have some wonderful marriages in this church. We already do. We're going to have even more. And the world is going to look at that and go, wow, wow. I wonder, how, how did their family and marriage and life, how, how did they get 
to be so wonderful. And here we are over here fussing and fighting and fuming with one another. Now someone might say, well, I, I thought this, this character stuff in chapter 3, I thought this was for those who aspire to be leaders in the church. It is. Why do we need leaders in the church? What's the purpose for them? What do leaders do? <laughs> they teach and they lead in a way that we all can grow in our walk with the Lord. And so what we're about to enter into, it's for all of us, every one of us. And the Lord is going to give you leaders that will help make that clear and will set an example for you to follow and will enable you to be what you really aspire to be. Because you're going to work at it. You're going to work at it. And we're going to work at this together. Now, if you have any questions about that, go to the Connect table. Uh, they'll be glad to help you. If you need to come to my office and, and let me go through this with you, if you're saying, you know what, I'd like to do this, but I tell you what, at the point we're at right now, we're in a mess. I'll do what I can to help. I'll do what I can to help. Come, let's study the word together. Let's pray together. Let's be what the Lord has called us to be together as a church. Stand with me as we pray. Oh Lord, none of us, not one, is worthy or deserving or capable of fulfilling the task that you have set before us in Scripture. But we're grateful, Lord, that you are able, that your spirit is able, that what you have begun in us, you will bring to completion. We are grateful that you have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. So, Lord, we come to you this morning to pray for our men to be spiritual leaders and for our women to be spiritual women who will come alongside them and together bring glory to your name. I pray, Lord, that you keep them pure and holy and blameless. I pray you make them diligent in their reading and studying and obedience to your word and diligent in their prayer life. And I pray that you will strengthen them and enable all of us to just be faithful. Be faithful to who you've called us to be. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.